1: We supposed to get married? I'm going to just swipe left. I just want somebody to share my life with The world isn't always going to be for you, and you need to be able to fight against it together.
0: You can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you watch me on The Drew Barrymore Show, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. Welcome to another thrilling episode of Dates and Mates. We have a big episode today. A big-name guest... So I thought it was fitting to make a big announcement to start the show. As many of you know, I've been writing my book uh, for what it seems like it has been half of my life, (laughs) but really for the last year or so, year or two, let's call it year or two. And now I'm really excited to share that I can officially announce the release date and the title of this book. You'll be hearing excerpts from it and so much more about it over the coming year, but in the meantime, drum roll, please! January second, twenty twenty-four. I will be bringing you F the fairy tale, rewrite the dating myths, and live your own love story. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> In my 15 plus years of coaching singles, I find that the biggest game changer for my clients is the moment when they throw out the old scripts that they've been living with. It's the soulmate myth, the chemistry myth, all of the myths that keep us believing that there's only one way to find love or that this is how it should happen for us. And as soon as you realize that you get to live your own love story and you say yes to the adventure in that journey, your life begins to change. And my guest today is the living definition of that. You know her as the Bachelorette from season 13. She is the one, the only, Rachel Lindsay. And she has a brand new novel called Real Love that asks What happens when you take the road less traveled? But first, I'm serving up a tasty dish for you. (laughs) A new survey shows how the rise of dating apps has fundamentally changed the way people find and keep relationships. I'll be unpacking all of that data in a moment. Then, in Dear Damona, I'll answer this question. Damona, you've inspired me to return to dating. Now, how do I manage all of these dating app conversations? All right, pull up your chair to the table because it's time for a dish. She's dating dish. My friends at the Match Group partnered with Ipsos to complete the world's first comprehensive survey of dating trends. And boy, is there a lot in here. You know, I'm a data nerd and that drives so much of my coaching and my advice on the show. So it's fascinating to me when I can get my hands on research that really shows what's happening in the world of dating and how Dating is changing. I've seen so many shifts in the last 15 years, but this really crystallizes some of the things that we've talked about here on the show. So looking at the survey, they interviewed nearly 20,000 people from the U.S., Germany, Japan, India, and Turkey. And it included people with online dating experience and also who people who were not dating online. And the first conclusion that they came to was that online dating delivers meaningful human connections. And look, before you (laughs) say, Demona, (laughs) no. (laughs) They actually surveyed folks and asked them how they make their new connections. According to the people surveyed, they asked where they were meeting their last partner, their last meaningful relationship. 40% were through a dating app. 24% through a social app, 21% through family and friends, 19% at a public place, and 15% at an activity. So this is why, like, when I'm doing the Dating Accelerator program, I spend so much time on dating apps, and people are like, oh, but I have this vision, I'm going to meet my person out in the wild. And I love that for you, and I want that for you, but I want to also be real about the numbers. And statistically speaking, you have a much better chance online than in other places. Of course, if you're in Germany, according to this survey, they have a higher incidence than in other markets of meeting your partner in public spaces through shared interests and activities. In Japan, you better return to the office if you're not already because according to this survey, meeting at work is more prevalent there than in other markets. And in Turkey, you have the best chance at meeting through family and friends. But all of those are dwarfed. online dating, especially in India, where it's more likely than in other markets that people would meet online. And depending on your orientation and your gender identity, online may be even more fruitful for you. Because LGBTQ daters are using dating apps at much higher rates. Tinder accounts for one in three relationships among LGBTQ females in the U.S. And I think this is because I talk a lot about niche dating markets. When you are looking for something specific and it is not as available to you in your current market because maybe people are afraid to reveal their gender or orientation, Or whether it's because you are a different ethnicity than the people in your area. And this was another benefit. I have been looking for data on this for a long time. And this is the most comprehensive study that I've seen on how online dating bridges the gaps between communities. So according to the survey, one of the top benefits of dating apps and sites are that you have a larger and more diverse pool to connect with. And 62% said that dating apps allow them to connect with people of different races and religions, of different views, that was 61%, of different backgrounds, of 59%. And when you look at it through this lens, you really can see the opportunity within dating apps. Of course, people have concerns about online dating. And depending on your age, you may have a different relationship with online dating. According to the survey, younger women in the U.S. and Germany have much more positive thoughts about online dating than older women. And younger women also said it's easy to find meaningful relationships via online dating at a much higher rate than older women. My question in that is easy compared to what? Because I feel like, yes, total transparency. It does take more effort to make connections on a dating app as an older woman. I know I have a lot of listeners over 50, over 60, who are like, this is not the same (laughs) as when I was dating in my 20s. And I will acknowledge that it is not the same as for the experience for women in their 20s and 30s on dating apps because you do have a smaller pool to to select from just because statistically speaking if you're looking for someone in your age group there are fewer people available at all of any gender right so it does require a different kind of process To make the connections online, it does require you to be a little bit more proactive on the app to be visible, to make the connections. And so I can understand why older women might say it's not as easy as younger women, but I think we forget how just a few years ago, prior to online dating, how much effort it actually did take to make a connection. Because then you had to go out of your way to meet people in the real world. You had to make more of an effort to get out of your house and get out of your regular social circle to make those connections. And it wasn't that long ago that older women who found themselves in the dating pool later in life did not have dating opportunities in the way that they do today. So before we start to classify it as easy or hard or as work or as, I don't know, an opportunity, we have to just remember where we came from and acknowledge how quickly our reality has shifted. And as our reality shifts, of course, fear and concern come up. This this uh, survey also looked at safety and well-being, and there are some concerns around online dating across multiple countries, whether somebody is the same person they claim to be in their profile, whether somebody's misrepresenting themselves to be different or better than they are in person. There's fears of being scammed or asked to send money. There's a threat of you know, physical harm. There's concern about being judged based on their profile info and their photo alone. So according to the study, the older daters tended to be more concerned about authenticity, while younger daters were more worried about physical harm. But what I'm really looking at before I label online dating as good or bad or ugly are the outcomes. And according to the survey, 60% of people went on dates or developed a relationship From online dating. And that's ultimately the goal. And there's a wide range of perceived success of online dating and finding the relationship somebody was looking for. But the bottom line is that the majority of people viewed online dating as very successful, more so than not successful, or I don't know. (laughs) 54% of people perceived that online dating was successful in helping them find the relationship that they're looking for. And There's been some data out there about whether relationships that start online are breaking up or are not as happy as relationships that start offline. And it's honestly all BS. And I have the receipts right here because according to this survey, 50% of the people who met on dating apps classified themselves as very happy in a relationship. 32% somewhat happy. And only 4% said somewhat unhappy and a negligible amount of very unhappy, it's almost on par. Those numbers are almost the same as people who met through offline dating methods. So, you know, as we were talking about last week, I think we need to start to remove that barrier between what we think is online dating and what we think is offline dating and see the benefits of using the tool of a dating app to be able to connect with people. Because this is where relationships are happening. This is where relationships are beginning. And the stigma around online dating has diminished greatly since I met my husband online. And we are approaching 16 years of marriage. So that tells you how long I've been in this game. And I look at data like this, and you know what? I feel... I feel optimistic, I feel hopeful, because even though you may have had experiences in the past that were unsatisfying with dating apps, I know what potential is out there. I know what yeses are on the other side of some people's no's, and I know that this is the direction that we're heading in. We are all connected. And that's one thing I love about this data that I'm looking at. It's looking at these trends across multiple countries, across multiple continents, and seeing that we really do have more in common than we think. And as we reach through the screen and reach across town or reach across the world, there's so much opportunity in connection today And I just encourage you to use all the tools at your disposal to make those connections. Well, when we come back, we will be joined by somebody who's made a lot of connections in her time dating and a lot of connections that we've watched unfold in real time on TV. And now she's going to unpack those experiences as she tells us about her brand new book, Real Love. We're gonna get real with Rachel Lindsay from The Bachelorette in just a moment. Welcome back. You know Rachel Lindsay for her role as the first black lead in Bachelor Nation history. She was the Bachelorette of ABC's season 13 of The Bachelorette, and she was a contestant on the 21st season of ABC's The Bachelor. She also is one of the couples who did find love and is still married to the person she met on the show But that's not all. She's now a correspondent with Extra TV. She's the host of The Ringer's Higher Learning with Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay. It's a podcast that was recently nominated for an NAACP Image Award. And she has a new book, Real Love, on shelves today. Please help me give big smooches to my guest, Rachel Lindsay. Hello. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy to have you here. I've been watching you on the TV for years, and now you're here on Dates and Mates. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be
1: here. I know we're going to have a lot of fun.
0: We are going to have a lot of fun, and we we better do it quick because, girl, you got to get back to work. (laughs) Look, okay, y'all, Rachel, she is You know her, obviously, from The Bachelorette. She's also a podcaster. She's a TV host. She's an attorney. No big deal. She's an author. And now she's a novelist? Rachel, first of all, why? Second of all, how? (laughs) How did you write this fantastic new book in your spare time? Real love. It's an amazing feat.
1: Oh, I did it with help. And I like to be very upfront about that because I'm not the type of girl who's like, I can do it all. I balance, you know, love and life and career. Uh, No, and in order for me to do all those beautiful things that you just listed out, I have help, including with this book. So the, the idea that I had for Real Love, I really pitched it at the same time that I started talking about my nonfiction book, my book of essays, and they love the idea. And then the rest is history. But when it came time to start really writing the book, I, I'd i still be writing it. I'd probably still be on page one. So shout out to Alexa Martin, who totally not just helped me with it. You know, we worked through this together, but also understanding the genre that I was in and how there's a certain formula to that genre. And it's like, I'm like, I wanna do this. I wanna say this, I wanna say this. This character's going here. And she's like, no, 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 wait. You're in a particular genre. So I really learned a lot about how all of this works and, and with books and particularly in fiction. And so, yeah, it's been fun. And, you know, I've had help.
0: (laughs) We, yes, we all, we all, we all need help. (laughs) (laughs) As someone who's writing my first book right now. Oh, congratulations. uh, Thank you. It won't be out until January, but it is, it is, it's hard enough to write a nonfiction and then to, to go there and write, a fiction piece that is a little bit, I would say, mm-hmm. inspired by your own experiences. How much of writing this book, which involves a a woman going on a reality TV show to find love, how much of it was inspired by your experience on The Bachelor and how many parallels are really in there? Or did you take the liberties to make this its its own sort of experience?
1: Yeah. I mean, great question. I definitely took liberty at making it its own experience. I wanted it to stand alone. But what I did want, I mean, the idea came from my own life experience of my coworkers knocking on the door saying, hey, you should be on The Bachelor. Me laughing and saying, oh, that's not for Black people. And they're like, no, it, it'll be great for you. You'll You'll do fantastic. And I said, yes. But that was not a strong yes. I was really looking for no's and I was just looking for something to say no, stay where you are, because you're comfortable here. You know this life, and, and you know, it's it's all a part of your plan. Once I said yes, you know, it changed my life in the best way, but I always think about that girl who almost said no. And so I mm-hmm. wanted to explore that. So you do get a lot of where I was in my life at that time, certain things that I dealt with personally, the crossroads that I was at, which I feel will make it very relatable to the reader because we all go through that, whether it's in love, life, family, friendships, and you see the protagonist, Maya go through all that. So Maya, who is more based off of me, says no to going on the show, but at the same time, she watches her friend Delilah say yes to the experience. So it's great because it's a story within a story and you're seeing... Even though it's at the focal point, you're seeing her go through this life on reality television. Meanwhile, she stays on her life plan path.
0: Yeah, I love the exploration of the road not taken. Mm-hmm. I think about that all the time all the, the, the time. sliding doors moments. Back in the day when your coworkers were telling you you should apply for The Bachelor and you thought it wasn't something for you, I'm sure you couldn't have even really pictured this life that you're living right now?
1: Oh my gosh, not even close. I mean, I was like, okay, I'm going on the bachelor to escape. It was really escapism. I was open to love. I'm too skeptical to believe that it could actually happen. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to do this and figure out what does Rachel really want? This is my first time being rebellious. I am saying yes to something in a selfish way, despite what anybody else says. This is for me. And I was going to take this time to detach from TV and, and my phone and the internet and all of that to just focus on my wants and desires. Well, I never thought I would win, right? Or if the guy would choose me, and he didn't. So that was the, that was the only truth. But I went <laughs> a lot farther than I thought I would. I made these amazing friendships that I still have to this day, and I just figured out exactly who I was and what I wanted. Because those moments where you're talking to producers really are therapy, even though they're trying to produce a show. So I got all Mm. of that and then, you know, got the offer to be the bachelorette. And I said yes to it. And I didn't think that I'd find love. And, Mm. you know, that just took me by surprise, too. And then it just opened me up to a whole other world where I've been able to explore things and have certain experiences that I never thought I'd have and meet amazing people and just live the life that I want to live.
0: Having been through that experience and on the show, I'm always talking to people about doing that self-work, getting that clarity on what you want, putting that time into really figuring out yourself before you move into a partnership. Now you're on the other side. You and Brian have been married four years. Is that right? Almost three and a half. Yes. Yes. Three and a half years. Congratulations. Thank I, that is you. certainly a bachelor nation. Uh, <laughs> you're on the leaderboard there. <laughs> Thank so, you. So, you know, this is your life. We watch it as a show, but this is your life. Yeah. What do you feel like now that you're in the relationship that you have learned about yourself?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: do any of these themes show up in your in your novel in real love?
1: Yeah, I don't want to give too much away, but I will say that what I've learned about myself is that it's going to be okay. Cause I know that I was the one who was stopping myself from doing some of the things that I really wanted in life, even having some of the things that I wanted. I would blame it on my job. I blame it on my career of what I was what I have to do. No, like I have to get to this point as being a lawyer, and then this is the next step, and this is the next step, and then I can enjoy this. And so, yes, that's definitely a theme within the book, but I learned that, you know, life is about taking risks and Sometimes you're going to fail, and then sometimes they will beautifully surprise you in the best way, which I feel like I'm a living testament to that. Fear, I know you say that money's the root of all evil. Sometimes I say jealousy is, sometimes I say insecurity is, but I really think it's fear. Think of the things that we would do if we weren't scared of it, if we would just Fearlessly went after those things and not worried about the unknown or the consequences on the other side of it. If we just went for it. And so that's a huge theme in this book. And that's truly something that I've learned for myself as I've experienced not just love, but just even certain things in career, just
0: going for it. I would totally co sign that. Fear is the root of all evil. And yeah, I find myself a lot of times with clients just saying, What if, if you weren't afraid? what would you do? What would it Such look like? Such a good like? question. Right? And sometimes we get in our, stuck in our heads and we play, play forward the tape and we think this is how it's going to go. And mm-hmm. that stops us from action. But the real discovery is in the action. So you took a bold move in, in your life and yeah, look how it's played out for you. I love how even it's, in, it's been good. <laughs> in your series of essays, your book from Last year, Miss Me With That, your series of mm-hmm. essays. I love how you even, you even have like what you thought your life was going to be. Yes. By, and by 27, I'm married. And by 29, I start the first of my four kids. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and look at me now. <laughs> was there a point where you were like, okay, I'm going to rewrite the 10-year plan? Or do you have a different philosophy now?
1: Yeah there is no life plan I got rid of it and I'm so glad you brought that up because it's true I go through like age 18 25 27 and I mean I had it down to a T this is exactly what is going to happen and, and if you don't fit in goodbye and I even had that list for my man my man was going to be a certain way so now I mean I I have the man now but what I would say is if you have a list for either one life plan man whatever it may be I would rip it up and what I would say is hold true to those things that you don't want to compromise on your morals, your values, your dreams, your goals, all that, you know, should stand through and through. But even now, and when someone says to me, what is it that you want to do? What's the end goal? I don't give them one. So I feel like when you write down a life plan, you, you feel like you have to stick to it, that you miss out on other opportunities. So now I just say, I want to do things that I'm passionate about and that are purposeful. And that's it. And that has never failed me. I won't be dissatisfied with it because it'll mean something to me, whatever it is that I'm doing.
0: Yeah, it's good to focus in on the qualities and the values. That's what I tell people are really the big predictors of long-term compatibility, the values. And sometimes we do get too locked into this one vision of what we want. But I ask what happens when you get into the feeling of how you want to feel when you're in that relationship, you don't know when it's coming. You don't know if it's going to hit all of the boxes on the list. I hate the list, Rachel. I hate, <laughs> I'm ripping up lists every day here, but we don't put how we want to feel in the relationship on the list. We put, mm. he's this mm. tall, he makes as much money, he has this job, he drives this car, you know. So and shallow. None of those things, <laughs> but you know, some of it is, is how we've been conditioned, right? It's, yes. It's through reading fairy tales and seeing rom-coms and watching The Bachelor. And we get these ideas Mm -hmm. in our head, but they're not necessarily our dreams. They're someone else's dreams. And that's another thing that I really love about this book is that it it kind of shows what happens when you follow your own dreams and Mm -hmm. are open to redefining them.
1: Yeah. I mean, it makes me think of, and, and this is kind of explored in the book when you see the family dynamic, and this is was true to my life as well. Our parents come from a different generation. For them, employment and work was to survive. And it was, you know, to put food on the table, as opposed to our generation is more like, well, how does this job make me feel? And what brings me joy and happiness? And I just think that's a much more beautiful place to be. But our parents' force, you know, the way that they were taught and the way they lived on us. And so you feel like you have to do that and live that life. And it was therapy and uh, ending a bad relationship and turning 30, where I just really woke up one day and I was like, whose life am I living? Who am I doing this for? Am I doing this for me or am I doing this to please somebody else? And when I honestly answered that question, I realized I was not doing life the way that I wanted to. And so I started to do it that way. And it, you know, it hasn't failed me yet. It hasn't always been easy, but it hasn't failed me yet.
0: Yeah. When we examine those hmm, those stories and those belief systems, it, it gets murky Ooh. in there, right? Because they're so deeply seated. And you're right. Mm-hmm. This is a very different way from our parents' generation. And I can't wait for my daughter to tell me about how everything I taught her <laughs>
1: What do you mean? It's incorrect.
0: incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. She's 12 now, so I'm sure as as, soon as she she turns 13, I yep. will know nothing anymore. <laughs> but it is really interesting I- examining our programming and the origins. I there was something you said earlier when you were talking about not wanting to apply for the the bachelor. And mm-hmm. you said that's not something for black people, I think that's what mm-hmm. you said. Yeah. And I noticed and maybe it's cuz I'm black I noticed a very deliberate choice to make the lead character in real love Maya black and I think yes. even her mom is like an African American studies mm-hmm, professor mm-hmm, right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's a very deliberate choice yeah. and I I'm just wondering if there was something in the novel setting where you could explore race and how that Factors into finding love in today's world that maybe you couldn't say in the essays or you couldn't really say on the show
1: I'm so glad that you said that because when you're writing a nonfiction about yourself it's a fine line of telling too much information about somebody else and someone else's story and you want to make sure that you're you're telling your truth but you're telling your story and like being fair to the other person at least that was me I was trying to be polite but in fiction <laughs> You don't know who I'm talking about. And if you think that that's about you, that's your fault, because this is a (laughs) fiction novel. Okay, that's that's not my fault that you see some of yourself in that. So absolutely, this was a way to explore some of that. And it was very deliberate to make Maya a black woman because, you know, she is loosely, loosely based off of me and saying no and exploring a life that that could have been. And also. It was deliberate to make Delilah, her friend, a Latina woman because she was the first on this show, Real Love, in her own right. But it was important also to not make her the focal point and not make the show because it was really about Maya's journey and exploring that. So it's telling that story within it, but also still making sure it was very much so about Maya and how Maya navigates life as a Black woman being in a male dominated, mostly white career but also having a very diverse friend group. Sometimes her friends don't always understand certain things that she's going through. She was supposed to date a certain guy and you feel that pressure in life and also from her family of who she was supposed to be with. But then, you know, as she comes to a certain crossroads and she's open to new opportunities, you see her, if she had a list, which she kind of does, you see that certain things that are happening to her, or she's experiencing, that she's interested in don't necessarily match up with the list. But is she going to act on them or or is she not? And that's a very real life situation, especially when you're someone like Maya, who's type A and has everything planned out. That unknown is the scariest place to be. But when you do step into it, it also might be the most rewarding.
0: Just going back to the, the question of race. And I've heard you say that even, you know, in the public eye, your blackness was always questioned. Mm -hmm. And for TV shows I've worked on, where I've worked with black women, there's also this pressure of feeling like, whoever I choose, that's like, I'm representing everyone, like everybody black. This is for for everyone. And if I choose someone of another race, Is that saying something about black women? Is that saying something about me? Mm -hmm. Can you unpack that for me a little bit of your experience?
1: I mean, particularly for being the bachelorette, I didn't think about much about how big of a deal it was being the first black bachelor. I knew it was, and I knew it was history, but because I didn't watch the show, I didn't have a lot of context. So I didn't get wrapped up in the fanfare of it all. But what I did know is that I was going to be judged for every decision that I made by this bachelor audience, but then also by my own people. I know that they were going to be looking at me. Who is she going to choose? Why is she going to choose this person? They were already going to be assumptions about who I was going to choose. And I had to make a decision from the moment that I said yes, that I was going to ignore all of that. And I was going to be open to love. And if it came my way, I was going to accept it no matter what package it came in. And I needed to be okay with that because I knew the world that I was going to have to face once I made that decision. And it is something that I feel like if you aren't Black, and I can't speak towards other races, I'm just gonna speak in Black and white. If you aren't Black, you don't really necessarily understand how, Your culture will hold you to a specific standard and expect certain things from you. And whether that's like a a generational trauma thing, whether that's something that we put, you know, within ourselves in our own culture, we do that. And um, I knew that that was going to happen and it did happen. And to be honest, it still happens. I still get questioned about my Blackness and certain things because I chose somebody who wasn't Black. And there are a lot of people who judge me for that and think that every decision that I make is not rooted in Blackness because my decision in love wasn't, which I think is completely unfair. You know, it's interesting. Going into the Bachelor world, Bachelor Nation, the Bachelor Clan as I like to call them, they have certain stereotypes of that clan with a C
0: or a K? It's a K. It's a K. Okay. Okay,
1: just checking. There are certain stereotypes that they had for me. And I know that I was chosen for a reason, right? I know that they saw my resume and I checked certain boxes for them and they said, okay, if we're going to have a first, it's going to be her because she makes sense to this audience. They can easily accept her. It makes sense. She's a lawyer. Her dad's a judge. She went to private school. Okay. She's, she's a good one. They didn't say that, but they were saying that. So there was a certain stereotype that I felt like I fit in to be chosen to do that. What they weren't ready for is that I was going to, I am that, but I am also a black woman who's always going to represent herself as a black woman. Who's going to call out certain things that contradict that, which I did. I knew it would happen, but I wasn't as ready for is that, and I should know this because of how I grew up. And I talk about this in my book of essays of how I was constantly teased. But at the same time, Black people stereotype black people, and we have certain expectations of what is our definition of blackness. And we constantly say to non-black people, "Hey, we're not monolithic," but then we don't have that same standard towards our own people within our own community. We forget, "Hey, guys, we're not all the same. We have different experiences, but it doesn't take away from my blackness." So I feel like this was something for the first time publicly I dealt with on the show. Obviously, dealt with it my entire life, and I sadly, still deal with it at times.
0: You know, having a multiracial background myself, I write a lot about interracial relationships. And, you know, my parents went through a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to say how many years ago <laughs> <to> <laughs> date myself, but, you know, a while ago. And in many ways, I think we're still in the same place that we mm-hmm. were. It's certainly better. But are there things that you should consider Anything that you've encountered that was really unexpected beyond on the show, anything that you think might be helpful for people that are bridging that cultural divide?
1: Yeah, absolutely. What I found interesting, so Brian and I met in 2017, got married in 2019, 2020, bam, we dealt with the pandemic. We dealt with this racial awakening. And what I found so interesting were how many people that were in interracial relationships who hadn't had conversations about race. And so now for the first time ever that race is so at the forefront and we're watching these protests and, you know, our politicians and organizations and shows address race for the first time, you're realizing that your partner doesn't necessarily think the same way that you do. And couples were breaking up, interracial couples were breaking up left and right over saying, Oh my God, I didn't know he thought like that. So my advice would be, and I definitely did this with Brian, I need you to know who I am, what I believe, and I want to know that same thing for you. It's not just about me. And you have to have these conversations of what it looks like to blend these two worlds together and how we might perceive it one way, family might perceive it in another way, and the world might perceive it something different. And should we have children? How are children? May look how they'll navigate the world, how we might see them one day, but when they step outside of our home, this is how the world will perceive them. It's so important to have those conversations, and I can't stress that enough, so I would just say my biggest advice is talk to one another and understand one another because it's so important that you're on you have the same foundation because the world isn't always going to be for you, and you need to be able to fight against it together.
0: Oh, thank you so much for joining me, Rachel. You have got to get your hands on this book, Real Love. It's a fantastic novel. It is on shelves today. And like I said, get the bundle. Get her other book, Miss Me With That, which is a collection of essays that she released last year, exploring everything from love to politics to race. And follow her adventures on the gram at The Rach Lindsay. That's T H E R A C H L I N D S A Y. And you know where that link will be? Yes in the show notes. In a moment, I'll be back to answer the following listener question. How do I manage talking to multiple people at once? I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. I'm feeling pretty excited to share my thoughts with you on that. Stick around. All right, Rachel got real with us, and now we're going to get real with your questions.
1: Dear Damona. Damona, help me.
0: This message came to me in a text from one of our listeners on the hotline. And you know that number, 424 246 6255. This listener texted Hi, Demona, you inspired me to get back online for dating after taking a couple of years off. My question is How do I balance the matches and conversations? I'm not very good at or comfortable with talking to and meeting multiple guys at once. I don't want to miss a good potential match due to ignoring messages, but I don't know that spreading myself thin over matches allows me to really gauge a good connection. I don't want to get overwhelmed and give up, but I'm not really sure what to do. All right, first of all, kudos to you on being in tune with what is working for you and what is not working for you. That is what a lot of this dating process is about too. And I try to give you all the gamut of options and tools and resources for you, but you got to know when something is a match for you in, in the advice that I'm giving you and when something is not a fit for your lifestyle or the way that you like to show up. So So if you know that you get overwhelmed by talking to a lot of people at once, why not set yourself up for success? You might want to think about using an app like Coffee Meets Bagel or eHarmony where you get a more curated list of matches and you're not like, what do they call it? Drinking from the fire hose of matches all the time. The other thing I'm going to guess is that you have multiple apps on your phone at a time. And this is not really something that I recommend for anyone until you've really got a system down. Like I literally have my Dating Accelerator clients tracking their messages, who they're talking to online. And I've said on the show before, I am not above keeping a spreadsheet. I literally have a date tracker in my Dating Accelerator workbook because it is overwhelming. And if you don't have a process around it, then it can really feel like um, just an endless stream of decision fatigue, right? And on top of that, you are proving a point that I've made on the show before about how easy it is to just get lost in the mix because of the volume of communication that we have. Because you have your dating app, and then you have your email, and then you have your Slack, and then you have your texts, and then you have your DMs. And it is a constant stream of communication. So we got to, Cut down the noise. We gotta turn down the volume here. I would have you go down to one app if you're not already. I would have you really think about a more curated experience. And if one of those apps that I mentioned isn't right for you, then maybe you wanna think of doing something like Bumble and paying for the, the premium so you can see your beeline and only engage with the people who've already liked you, who've already matched with you. So it's not just constant messaging, constant matching. It's a much more curated experience. I mean, that's what, I keep getting the question in the dating accelerator, should I pay for premium? That's what premium buys you. It's, it, it's not like the idea of paying for more visibility and paying to be bumped up to the top or to be like a super like for someone doesn't really work because that's the assumption that they just haven't seen you. It's probably that they saw you and didn't feel like it was a match. Now, that said, if you have super likes, definitely use them. I mean, don't waste it. But I don't know that that gives you as much of an edge as paying for the convenience or the service of taking something that is a frustration for you in dating off of your plate. And that's really what I do when I'm working with clients. I'm like, what is the most frustrating thing about this process for you? And how can we either reframe it or how can we eliminate that? And paying for premium may be one solution to get you there. The other thing that I will say is you got to create some scripts for yourself. (laughs) I hate to break it to you, but like, I'm all about authenticity. But at the same time, if you're every single time, reading their profile and being like, what do I say to this person? Like you said, you're not very good at or comfortable with talking to and meeting multiple guys at once. I feel like that might be because you feel like you're not, you're not giving it a hundred percent attention at any time. And so what I would love for you to do is to have a little bit more of a standard response. And this is specific. If you're going through this experience, this is specific advice to you. This is not necessarily my general advice for everyone. But if you're feeling overwhelmed, maybe come up with a standard, like a this or that question. All right. My big question for you is chocolate chip or Rocky Road? Or Well, the first thing I have to know is, are you a day or a night person? And just see how engaging people can be in their responses and how you connect with people after that point. That will automatically eliminate a bunch of people who are not really there to engage, who are just what I call time wasters. And then you can put your energy into the people that write back, that seem to give you focus, that intrigue you and you, you won't have to feel obligated to keep juggling all these balls in the air talking to all of these people at once and being depleted in the process. I don't want you in a state of overwhelm, but I also don't want you to take years off of dating of online dating. And you know, we've talked before about the difference between online dating and offline dating. It's the same thing now. So not having a dating app on your phone to me is just closing that channel. But I want you to be dating with intention and with clarity and focus. And if you're in a place of overwhelm, that's not a great time to just be in the churn of the swipe. So it's okay. It's okay for anyone listening. It's okay to pause your dating app. But my recommendation is to set a date, like literally put in your calendar, like Tinder day. <laughs> you know, a week, two weeks, three weeks from now, the moment when you decide I will be replenished, I will have clarity on what I'm looking for, because when you have clarity, it's a lot easier to sort through and decide who you're swiping right on and who you're going to engage with in the first place. Take that time to get focus and get clarity and get recharged and then say, "I'm I'm going to come back on April 1st. That's when I'm going to go big." <laughs> that's when I'm going to put the energy out there to connect with the right people and not just do it out of the sense of obligation or because Demona told you so. (laughs) Let me know how that works for you. I love hearing updates from my listeners and I love helping you find this balance because it is all things at once now in this world that we live in. And as I was saying with Rachel, you get to choose your own dating destiny. You get to write your own love story. So thank you for letting me be a co-creator in writing this love story with you. I hope you enjoyed episode 453 of Dates and Mates. If you have a question, as I said, the DMs are always open. I love getting voice memos from you. Did you know like in Instagram, you can just, just hit that little microphone button and you can send your voice to me and you can get my voice back on a future episode of Dates and Mates. You can also leave me a voice memo or text me at 424-246-6255. We'll be back again next Tuesday keeping this Women's History Month female empowerment vibe with Michelle Elman. She's going to be talking about her new book, The Selfish Romantic. Until then, I wish you... Happy March, happy Women's History Month, and of course, happy dating.